Would you like to accelerate your career and reach your full potential in just minutes a day? Welcome to the LeadX Show with New York Times bestselling author and Inc. 500 entrepreneur, Kevin Cruz. What's your leadership style? Are you a friend, fixer, or fighter? Hello everyone, Kevin Cruz here, helping you to get 1% better each and every day. And today we're going to learn how to become the leader your team is waiting for. But first, please subscribe to our newsletter at leadx.org. Each issue has actionable tips you can try out right away to advance your career and to fulfill your potential. Leadx.org. Our guest today spent 20 years of not being able to decide whether he was a business development guy or a personal growth teacher. He finally stopped trying to figure it out. He's the CEO at Refound and the author of the new book, Good Authority. Our guest is Jonathan Raymond. Welcome, Jonathan. Hey, Kevin. Thanks so much for having me on the show. Our pleasure. We're going to talk about good authority in just a minute. But first, will you share with us a time, maybe early in your career, when you failed as a leader and what did you learn from that experience? I would say, you know, there's many examples to choose from, but the one that uh, always comes back to me is I was leading a marketing and sales team of about, you know, 15 or 16 people. And I thought that I was doing the good things that leaders are supposed to do. I thought that I was listening. I thought that I was making space for other people. And it was a real wake up call in my life. It was right around 2013 of realizing that the things that I was doing was still not nearly enough. I, I wasn't listening. I wasn't really making space for other people. And I didn't realize how I was disempowering them by my very presence. And maybe we'll talk a little bit about that. And so that, that led to a, a lot of heartache, a lot of personal pain. Uh, it, was, it impacted a lot of my professional relationships. It carried into my personal life. And it was a big wake-up call for me as a leader about what it really means to listen to the people on your team and not just to listen, but to act on the things that you're hearing. I know in my own life, when I would get the employee engagement surveys back, one thing I would almost get dinged on, um, you know, my opportunity for improvement was communication. Yeah. And, you know, your, your words brought it all back because I used to think I was a, a good listener. You know, I thought I was doing it right, but you just can't argue with the feedback. Mm. So I'm curious about another uh, popular topic, you know, work-life balance. I mean, do you believe in it? Do you have any tips for achieving it? The way that I think about it is that no matter what's going on, your life is always bigger than your work. So they're not on equal vectors, let's say. So even if you're totally overwhelmed at work and you hate your boss and you're feeling miserable, it's still inside of your life, right? It's still a part of your life. And so I think that the first step to kind of healing that split that we feel in ourselves is to realize that, you know, of course, there's always extreme examples. But generally speaking, we're at choice, right? We're at choice for where we work. And if you're spending a whole bunch of time and energy in a position where you don't feel like it's who you are, you don't feel like there's opportunities for growth, well, that's a choice you're making in your life. Now, it doesn't mean leaving that place is going to be without pain and without heartache and maybe without some, you know, extra financial pressure, but you're still at choice. And I think a lot of times what happens is people, they forget. Uh, we forget that we're at choice for these things. Once you do that and you change that frame, I think work-life balance becomes a lot more interesting. And I like to think of it more as work-life integration or blending work and life. And of course, that's what the book is about is how do you use your job, no matter where you are on the org chart today, how do you use your job to become the next better version of yourself? And I think that's, I don't know what to call that, 
But that's how I think about work-life balance is that if you feel like you're in the center of your role and you have some autonomy and you have some room to create, then you're going to feel good about whatever it is that you're doing and the organization that you're a part of. And if you don't have those things, you're not going to feel that way. Wow. So many value bombs there. Jonathan, I have a feeling that hundreds of listeners just tweeted out, life is bigger than your work. What a great phrase. (laughs) So your book is Good Authority, How to Become the Leader Your Team is Waiting For. Well, let's start at the beginning. You know, what do you even mean by good authority? Is it the opposite of bad authority? Yeah. So when I think historically, let's go back really briefly. So old school authority, you know, command and control, top down, you know, the omniscient, omnipotent CEO or boss or whatever, usually a man in the past, not so much these days, but that kind of old line authority, right, where you do it for the boss. It's not that that model doesn't exist in the world anymore. It's still around. We still see it, you know, popping up here and there. But what's happened over the last 10 or 15 years in particular, especially in North America, but elsewhere too, is there was this snapback. And we went all the way to the other extreme of, or at least pretending to be no authority, that every, we're on the same team, let's all get along, isn't this such a wonderful culture, uh, we don't have an org chart, and that, you know, all those kinds of, I would say, aspirational ideas, which was in the realm of no authority. And what good, and, and I think we realized, well, that doesn't work either, because you can say we're on the same team, but if you have somebody's paycheck in your hands, well, there's a different power dynamic at work. So what good authority is, is attempting to strike that middle ground. It's not all knowing, all powerful authority, but it's not no authority either. And it's in that spirit of mentoring, coaching, being able to acknowledge your role as an authority to say, hey, look, I'm in charge of this team. I have certain responsibilities. I'm exposed to certain data. I have certain pressures that the people on the team don't. And at the same time, it's my job to create a space for other people to discover their own creativity and to take personal ownership of their work. If you think of it as a maybe a 20 degree slope of authority rather than a 91 or a zero one. That makes a lot of sense. You know, I write and speak a lot about employee engagement and uh, people often think I'm all about a no boss workplace or total democracy. And they're surprised, you know, when I say that just denies reality. You know, there's someone somewhere in those organizations who has the power to hire and fire you. You know, so there is a dynamic, even if it's not acknowledged, the dynamic still exists. And a lot of people want there to be a leader, you know, to, to be a coach, uh, to give them some guidance. So, you know, one of my favorite things you wrote was that we should not be striving to be like Superman as a leader. Who's a better choice? Who should we model? Yes. So I use Yoda as an example in the book. And I wish I was saying to somebody yesterday because I work with a lot of female leaders as well. Unfortunately, it's two male uh, archetypes in this metaphor. Before I say that, I want to before we talk about Yoda and Superman, I want to just make sure I mention that I didn't realize before when we signed up this podcast, you're actually quoted in my book. I don't know if you saw it. I only got the book two days ago, so I got to admit, I skimmed it more than I read it. Fair enough. But so I was looking for someone with a good definition of what is employee engagement. And your definition is in the book. And it's just about the emotional commitment, right, to the organization. That was what I loved. So if you think about the tagline we use a lot in Refound is more Yoda, less Superman. And what most leaders come to me, you know, when they come to me, they already implicitly know you know what, I am actually being Superman or Superwoman. I'm constantly running around, chasing everybody, having the same conversations about company values. My door is always open. People are always asking me for 9 million things. And I don't have in my week an actual space to create. I don't have it. It's not there. I'm in perpetual overwhelm, switching between 12 different apps or 1,200 different apps, whatever it is. And 
anyone who's honest about what it means to be a worker in a modern information era, not to mention social media, you'd be hard pressed to not be in that Superman, Superwoman state all the time. The problem is that when you, and we're going to talk about leadership styles, the problem is that when you're as a manager or a team leader, when you're in that Superman state, there's no room for anybody else. There's no room for anyone else to discover their inner leader, their inner manager, because you've taken up all the room. You're the go-to guy or gal. You're the one that everybody knows, whether they say it out loud or not. You're the one that's going to check it before that email goes out. You're the one that's going to follow up with the customer. You're the one that's going to track down that you know missing data. You're the one that's going to mediate the interpersonal conflict when things get too ugly. You're the one, and this is what happens with leaders who care, is that we don't know how to modulate our care. We don't know how to set a boundary and say, you know what, I care so much that I'm going to stop interfering. And I'm going to let you make mistakes. And I'm going to be here to help you grow. If you're willing to look at your mistakes and say, you know what, I really screwed that up. And I don't know why. Can you help me get to the bottom of it? That's Yoda, right? That's the Yoda style of leadership that says, hey, I'm here to support you, but I'm not here to solve all your problems. And the Superman leader is the one who's constantly running around saving the day. And the joke that I made in the book is, right, you know, he never takes Lois Lane aside and says, hey, so that time when you, you know, decided to go down the dark factory, you know, in the middle of the night with nobody around to find out the evil genius, like maybe don't do that next time. You know, what, what, was, your, what was your game plan there? So there's a huge pivot to make. And a lot of my clients, they started mirroring it back to me. They said, oh, yeah, I totally Superman that. And people start using it as lingo. And so that's when it really started to catch on. I did read that passage and laughed out loud. It's like, yeah, you've never seen any uh, superhero doing an after action review, have you? Right, right. There's no debrief. Yeah, there's no debrief at the end of the movie like there probably should be. Jonathan, um, you trigger a bunch of stuff in me that I don't, I don't know if we're going to have time to come back to. But let me first uh, let you expand on this. You know, you say when it comes to leadership, there's really three main archetypes. So talk more about that. So I think of them as leadership and or management archetypes. Right. So what I call the fixer, the fighter or the friend. And, you know, listeners, you can probably identify. And it's not that you're only this thing. This is a really important thing. This is both a shadow and light, right? This is good and bad, best and worst of us in these archetypes. So I'll start with the one in the middle, which is the fighter, right? So the fighter, you always have a new idea. You're always pushing things forward. You never take no for an answer, right? You're always driving. There's always momentum. So what's the good side of that? The good side of that is that's fun. It's fun to work for somebody like that, where you feel like you're part of something. The train is moving. There's vision. Fighter style leaders and managers, they, they, they have a sense of where they're going, or at least they're good at persuading other people that they do. That's the good side. The shadow side of that is it's really hard to keep up with that fighter. It's really hard to deal with the constantly shifting priorities and tasks. And, well, I thought we were doing this thing, but now we're doing this thing. And it places an enormous amount of torque on your team if you don't keep that fighter gift, that fighter impulse in check. So that's the fighter. The fixer is... And these are all forms of micromanagement, right? When, we're, when we go under stress, they're all forms of micromanagement, if you can think of them that way. But the fixer is the one who's really the most closely, easily identified as such, in the sense that the fixer is the one who's always checking every email before it goes out, catches every typo. Nothing goes out unless it's absolutely perfect, gets really upset about you know minor details and glitches, which is not to say minor details and glitches are not important. They're critical. And so that's the best of the fixer is their sense of craftsmanship is the job done well and excellence. That's the best of the fixer. The problem with that gift, again, unchecked, 
is everybody feels like, well, I can never do it well enough for them, right? It's never good enough for the fixer. And so to be able to dial that back and choose your battles as a fixer and realize, you know what? This is a learning opportunity for somebody because this one here, this is, this is not okay that this went out this way, but you know what? I can actually let this other one go. And I'm more the fighter than the fixer. That took me many, many years to be like, you know what? It's just not that important. I'm going to let that one go. I'm going to find another moment to make that teaching point. The last of the three is much more and more common these days, what I call the friend archetype. This is the one who's everybody's pal, really thinking about culture, thinking about the vibe. Their door is always open. They're collegial. They often talk about business as family. We're on the same team. That's the good side and the bad side, right? So the good side is warm and welcoming vibe. People know there's somebody to talk to. The downside is there's always somebody to talk to. The friend style leader struggles with boundaries, struggles with accountability, says, you know what? We've actually talked about this before and I don't want to spend another half an hour talking about it. I need you to go do a piece of work on this. And then you come back to me with what you found. And the friend leader in mentoring, when I work with friend type leaders, is I, I really try to get them to see that the people on your team, they don't want you to be their best friend. They promise you they don't want you to do that. They want firm, clear expectations. They want firm boundaries. They want it delivered kindly. They want it with compassion. That's the best of what you do. But if you don't set boundaries and hold people accountable, you're missing the better half of the equation. This is something I personally struggle with. You know, I think I'm usually a, a fixer or a fighter. And, you know, where's that line as a manager when you say, okay, I've got a young employee who's not performing or, you know, there were these mistakes in that project and I need to fix them. I need to point them out, say, here's how you got to do a better job next time. But I mean, how do you know when that's just being micromanaging or nitpicking or perfectionism? You know, what's the right balance? The key is transparency so that if you find yourself, this, it's a check on you, on you and it's also a growing opportunity. So if you notice that there's something that, you know, let's say there's a client that has to be called because, you know, something went haywire and you just get the sense that that, that let's say it's a junior salesperson, they're just, they don't have it yet to be able to, to navigate that, that complex conversation in a way that the client's going to really feel that sense of trust. You might have to step in, but be transparent that you're doing it, why you're doing it, and what it is that you feel like you're bringing to the conversation that you want to help them develop. Right. So you say, you know, you might say to them, hey, the thing that I really want to get across to them is that this wasn't their fault. Um, and yet we had some there were some things that we were expecting from them and we didn't get them on, on the schedule. And so that caused some problems. So I would love for you to actually listen in to the way that I talk with the client about this so that you can do it the next time. That's not micromanaging. That's mentoring. Right. But it's the it's the when you give the client your cell phone and then whenever so whenever something goes wrong, the client says, oh, I'm not going to call John on the, on the sales team. I'm going to call Kevin because I know I'll get what I want from Kevin. You're, then you're not mentoring, you're not coaching, and you're not growing the team. Jonathan, this is, this is really funny because this is going on on my team today. <laughs> you know, we have a client who's trying to get direct access to me. They're jumping over their account person to try to get yep. a fast answer from me. Yep. And I have the answers and it's tempting to Superman yep. it and just say, you know, to my team, listen, let me just deal with this. I'll take care of it later today. I'll send yep. an email back later today, but I'm trying to be more Yoda like yep. I'm refusing to answer the client and I'm giving, you know, guidance to the account person and, and to continue the dialogue. And for me, it's a battle because, you know, in most cases it is easier and faster to be Superman. Yes. Long term for the health of the team though, for the growth of my team members, I know I, I really got to be Yoda. That's right. 
That's exactly right. It's like any other health-related thing where, you know, we're a really sophisticated or, let's say, increasingly sophisticated culture around preventative medicine and alternative health. We're learning as a, as a culture in America. It's taking us a while, but we're learning. And we know that with the quick fix comes with a long-term price. And the, you know, I love that book, you know, Take the Stairs. I don't, I can't remember the guy's name. Uh, Rory Vaden. Yeah. But like, you know, we're, we're learning that it's healthier, it's better to invest in that preventative step to educate and mentor. And the only thing I would say is, you know, maybe, not always, but maybe you can talk to that client. They'll respect if you say to them, hey, look, you know, I'm really tempted to jump in here, but I hope you can understand I'm, you know, in the spirit of growing my team, you know, thanks for working with, you know, Melissa on this. Uh, but I just want you to know that I'm here and I'm monitoring the situation, right? So they feel held. They don't feel like they're just being left stranded with somebody who may or may not give them everything that they need. There's a way to do both things at the same time. Great advice. I just got some free personal coaching today. <laughs> Jonathan, before we wrap up, I always like to challenge our listeners to get 1% better every single day. So what's a specific thing you'd like to challenge our listeners to try today? Think of one thing, one frustration or worry or concern that you have about one person that you work with. Maybe it's an employee, maybe it's a peer, who knows? And ask yourself, what is that thing? What is that frustration or worry or concern that I haven't voiced? Write it down. That's step one. That's the thing we most often don't do is we just pretend it isn't there. So there's a two-part challenge. First, write it down. Say, you know what? I've been meaning to tell Susan about you know, I mean, we to talk with her about, you know, her, she's always on her phone in meetings and it's distracting everybody else. And I haven't said anything. That's step one. And then step two is go and talk to Susan and tell her that you've been, you've been noticing something that's a little worrisome and you just want to make sure that you don't hold it back from her. Great. Great challenge. Jonathan, what's the best way our listeners can find out more about you, your company, your books? So everything in my world is, you can find it refound.com. So that's like the word rebound, but with an F like Frank. And we've got a free uh, five-part email course on how to have great one-on-ones, a one-page guide. And there's a couple of videos, a short one and a long one at the top of the site for folks who want to uh, get involved with it. The main thing that I do is good authority training. So it's a six-week training based on the book to develop these skills, to figure out how to have these conversations with transparency and vulnerability around performance in a way that employees really look forward to. All right, friends, you've just been mentored by leadership expert Jonathan Raymond. Check out his new book on Amazon.com or your favorite bookstore. You can get the links mentioned and the show notes from this interview over at leadx.org. And listeners, one more favor. If you're getting your money's worth from this podcast, just leave a one or two sentence review up on iTunes. The more reviews we get, the more likely it is that iTunes will promote the show to others. Until next time, remember, you don't need a title to be a leader. It's not about power. It's about influence. How will you lead today? 